of uh, Brother Steve Price. He's been here a few times. I like him a lot, and I've heard him a lot, and uh, I've heard a few times in some of his messages when he talks about some of the things, um, some of the titles people have been given in the Bible, like Moses being the most humble man, or um, David, a man after God's own heart. Um, Job is called the servant of God, and he always uh, would speak of, man, wouldn't it be nice if we were called some of those things? Um, and today, right off the bat, we have the Apostle Paul here in chapter 6, where I am in verse 11, says, But you, O man of God. What a great way to uh, just encourage and uh, uplift his young son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy is a guy that's got a large uh, burden to carry, so to speak, in this epistle and what he's doing and trying to set up as a younger man, telling the older people how church should be done. And so there's this great back and forth sometimes. We've gone through this epistle of Paul addressing specific areas of church and then specifically talking to Timothy and then addressing certain, um, say, treatment of church members. That's kind of what we're getting um, from here in chapter 5. And then, boom, going right back to Timothy. And he wants to say, but you, man of God... You know, again, I just was reminded again today is when we talk like this, those are great titles. And yet everyone who's put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus today in this room is called a child of God, at least a man and woman of God, for sure. I was just thoroughly encouraged with Dan Burton again, showing us the word last week, all that we have in Christ, all that we have in Christ. And it is a good way to start even today's message to think about who you are in Christ before we get into these verses. Let's look to the Lord. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much. Again, uh, just so great to dwell on and, and meditate on that one day you will be before your Father and you will be among us and you will not be ashamed to call us your brethren. Lord, you have done so many things and you have loved us so well and you continue to love us so well and completely. Lord, I was just encouraged again today to think about uh, when Mary is told that she is pregnant and the angel says, he will be great. Thank you so much for fulfilling that. It's not that you were not great before you decided to come to the earth, but Lord, just what a statement, he will be great. You have absolutely been great and continue to be great. Thank you so much for your word and how you have lined it uh, up for us. I pray again, Lord, that you would do a mighty work this morning, that you would stir in our hearts the things we would need to hear, and that we would be a people that take action. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I am also speaking next week. I want to be accountable to the text given to me. But I really couldn't get past those two verses. So we'll see what happens next week. 
But you, man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Again, remember, he's been writing a letter, and sometimes we break it up, as we've said before, into chapters and verses. This is one whole letter, and it would flow different if you were reading it as one letter. And he had just been talking about how to treat different church members, okay, servants, and um, elders and widows and just treatment of church members right there in the beginning of chapter 5. And then he's talking about error and greed and those who might have a love for money or are not content with the Lord but want to find their contentment in other things of the world. And then he switches here. He's going to talk to Timothy and says, But you, man of God, flee these things. What is he talking about? Well, in this chapter alone, we have conceit here in verse 4. In verse 5, we have corrupt minds thinking godliness is to get worldly gain. We have not being content, verses 6 through 8. We have various lusts in verse 9. And we have love of money in verse 10. Flee and follow. That would be our kind of catchphrase for this verse. Flee from these things and follow after these things. Timothy, you have been given a lot to do. Make sure you flee from all those things we just talked about. Conceit, corrupt minds, not being content, certain lusts, the love of money. And when you look at that word flee, I want to again say the reason we are fleeing or running is because it's dangerous. It's not just run away because, hey, you might get tainted or something like that. Those things we just listed are dangerous to the believer. Dangerous. And it would be good for us to see it as dangerous to the point where we would say, hey, I don't even want to be near this stuff. Let me run away. Let me run away. We've all seen those great movies where huge aliens or monsters attack a city. What happens right away? People start running in panic, running. And I always think it's interesting where I'm kind of like, if I really saw like Godzilla, why am I running? Like that's, he's a little bigger than that. But it's our natural instinct. When we see danger, we run. And here he's saying, flee from these things. They're dangerous. You struggle with the love of money, do something about it. Run away from that. You struggle with being content with what the world is or maybe trying to do something for the Lord to think somehow you will gain something out of that. Run away from that stuff. That stuff is dangerous. Dangerous, Timothy. And we would be a wise people to also run away from that kind of thinking. And what are we running to? Flee and follow. Gives, again... A lot of words that are kind of normal in Christianity, they all have a lot of depth to them. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. And this would be, when we talk about following after it, to seek after these things eagerly, with excitement. Go after this stuff. Don't think this stuff's just going to happen. Go pursue it. As you're running away from these previous five things, you're going to run after these six. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. So again, as this book has just been very 
practical in a lot of ways and very challenging. I want to simply look at some of these, and I'm going to even try to combine them, but just try to give us some practical ways on how we can eagerly seek after some of these things. Righteousness and godliness. It's about being just in your life and having integrity with men. Being like God and the idea of godliness that you present him and you are his image. You do the things God would do. You would love like him, be gracious like him, be just like him. In Proverbs 21 and verse 3, it says this, to do justice, I mean, I'm sorry, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. In Proverbs 10, 9, it says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. What do we as a believer follow after? How about having integrity? How about trying to be godly? In the simplest ways, it's that time of year. There's so many examples we could talk about with having integrity. Taxes always seems to come up, right? It's like the, it's the epitome of the example for integrity. I don't know why, but we are in that time of year. How good are you at personally not hoping you have integrity or not kind of saying, I think I do, but following after it. You're going to go get it. You are going to seek eagerly after being righteous and godly, having integrity. There was a story of Booker T. Washington who described meeting an ex-slave from Virginia in his book, Up From Slavery. He had found out that the man had made a contract with his master two to three years previous to the emancipation. Oh, I'm going to get teased for that one. Emancipation Proclamation, you know that word, to the effect that the slave was to be permitted to buy himself by paying so much per year for his body. And while he was paying for himself, he was to be permitted to labor where and for whom he pleased. So before he was proclaimed free, he had a contract with his master he could pay for his freedom. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300, even though he had absolutely no obligation to his master because of the proclamation. This man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. In talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt but that he had given his word to his master and his word he had never broken. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom till he had fulfilled his promise. It would be good for us as believers to have that kind of integrity that we would pursue and follow after righteousness and godliness, that we would be a people that it is a huge deal to never break your word. That when you say what you say to someone, you do it. It is a great testimony 
that the world can look at to say those people never break their word. They never do. What about faith and love? Some of the most common words in Christianity. This faith could be meaning that you are dependable or faithful. And then love would be love for God and people. Being dependable, love for God and people. What I would say about this is as we pursue these things, that again would mean you are actively seeking it out. So as we've said here a hundred times, it is very hard to really show someone love without being hospitable. It's really hard to actually tell people you love God and that you love people and not really ever ask them how they're doing. And in fact, there's always something that we always have times in our life where we need a little extra love, we need a little extra comfort. Are you someone that is able to provide that for people? Sometimes it's through hospitality, sometimes it's through a text, sometimes it's through phone calls. But the point is, is we should be thinking practically right now, when is the last time I reached out to someone? And I said, hey, you want to come over? Hey, do you need to talk? Hey, let's just hang out and just build a relationship. Because everything might be fine right now, but if we're going to church together, I guarantee you we go to church long enough, you're going to have a day where you're going to have a really bad day. And in that day, you can... Let's have a relationship where maybe we can help. Pursuing these things. Patience and gentleness. Patience, mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. Are we pursuing patience? That one's tough, right? Like, what are we actually putting in our lives, or how are we acting so we can eagerly seek out? Or are we just kind of reacting to things that make us impatient, and hopefully we pass the test? <laughs> Actively seeking these things out. I thought of myself, I was talking to my wife, trying to be patient in money. Okay. Do you relax and say, listen, I have to wait and save, then I can have that item? It sounds very basic. A lot of us don't, right? So, and I'm, talking, I'm not even talking about paying bills. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about you want something. You might not be able to afford it yet. Are you okay with just putting away money a little at a time, and then when you actually can afford it, you buy it? <laughs> That's called practicing patience. Instead of easily saying, let me put it on the credit card, or, you know, I'm going to go get this no matter what, or I'm going to go try to work extra, whatever it is. How about just being patient in the process of going, I'm going to a little bit at a time, put away. And then I tell you what, when you buy that, it does feel good. <laughs> you put away money, you save, there's no burden. You have the money, you buy, you, you work to have things. It's okay. But do we pursue patience like that? Do we purposely put things in our lives that we know this is not going to be an immediate response? This will be something I will have to work on or put away for weeks or maybe months. We are such a fast society. We don't like to do it. 
Meekness is really the word here for gentleness. Are you generally of a gentle spirit? <laughs> so that people feel calm around you. Are you personally generally calm? No one thinks you're going to snap at them. How do these things work? How do we pursue being someone of a gentle nature? Well, we've said some of these things before. Practically, why don't you get away from the things that frustrate you so much? If you're not gentle, if you're ready to snap at any kind of moment, where's all that frustration coming from, and can you avoid it? I've told you before, I love to, I used to love Google News, hear the news, watch I can't, can't do it anymore. It's not fun anymore. In fact, it just frustrates me. And then I find myself being short. Someone would, would say one thing that would remind me of a news line, and, and I'm, I'm ready to go to town. And they just, you know, they talked about something very casual. <laughs> and now I'm putting up an affront. I am not gentle. I'm actually on the attack. And imagine these things with non-Christians. Hey, I want to tell you about the love of Christ. Hey, I want you to feel comfortable with me. You say the wrong thing, I'm going to jump down your throat. And that, this is what we're talking about. When he's saying, flee from all these other things, but follow after gentleness. Go pursue it. Figure out how you can be gentle and meek. That quiet strength that you are in control of your emotions. And yet people can say all kinds of crazy things to you. And you're going to be under control. They can hit you with every opposite political view. They can say things that you completely disagree about. They can talk bad about your mother. That one might be over the line. No, I'm just kidding. And you are going to be able to be gentle and in control when they talk to you. Pursue that and make it easy on yourself. Get rid of the stuff that's frustrating you. Get rid of it if you can. The next portion is fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Every preacher loves that verse. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. It would not necessarily mean battle from what I would think. It really is talking about contend in the games. He's really talking about Olympics. He's saying, fight the good fight, contend, be a contender, be competitive in this fight of faith. In these games, so to speak, of faith, be a competitor, fight. We're going from fleeing and following to contending and clutching, laying hold of eternal life. And I would like to just talk about what it's like. To try to contend. What's it like to try to gain, to win at any game? Not that our faith is a game, but here's the illustration he's using. And he uses it a lot, by the way, Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy, we'll see, I have finished the race. I have fought the fight. Who are we contending or fighting against? Who are we in competition with? 
There was a farm boy who got a white football for Christmas. He played with it for a while, kicked it over into the neighbor's yard. The old rooster ran out, looked at it, called the hens to see it. Now look here, the rooster said, I don't want you girls to think I'm complaining, but I just want you to see what they're doing next door. When we talk about contending and fighting, we have to remember it's not with each other. I'm not trying to be better than you. I'm not sitting there and being like, wow, you know, Marlene hasn't sworn in three weeks, but I got three weeks in a day. I win. It's not like that. We're not contending against each other in this great battle. In fact, we're all on the same team. In Ephesians 6, 12, remember it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are not here to compare ourselves against other believers. We are here, however, not to wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities it should bother us when it seems like we as a church are not making gains on the world. That should bother us. I wore my Mets shirt the other day and a Mets hat. You, oh, you wear that stuff in public, you're going to get compliments. Oh, no, just comments. Someone says something like, oh, Mets. I said, yeah, man. I said, this is the only time I can talk about them in February. I said, we're already injured. We, got, we have the richest guy in baseball. We can't, we can't even put a team together. And you know what? I have to tell you, it's annoying. It's annoying to associate myself with that team. Like, how, do, how, do we, how are we going so bad? <laughs> Trust me, it's annoying being a Washington Commanders you know, fan. People feel bad for you. Okay, it's been a long time. You ever think about what it's like to talk about us as believers? Are we that team? <laughs> Are we those when we talk about contending for the faith and we talk about as a team, we're going to be competitive, that we look at the church, we're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, looks like you have all the money, looks like you have everything, but you guys are in last. That should bother us. That should bother us. Here Paul is saying, hey, fight the good fight. Fight. Let's go. Let's contend. Let's not just show up to the games. Let's win. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. How do you contend? In France, 2024, there'll be the Olympic Games. Number one, what's interesting is if you're a hosting country, you get a team. At least from what I read from the Olympic Committee, you get to just put in a team. If you're because you're the host, you get that. That's your qualification. You're the host. I thought how great that is is just our position in Christ, right? We're in the game because of who he is. Regardless of your skills or attributes, you're in the game. Because the host is your Savior, Jesus Christ. 
50% of qualification places are based on achieving the entry standard for an event within the qualification period. Okay, so this is 50% of how to, of people who qualify are places. In other words, just to be in the Olympics, you have to th be able to throw the shot put 20.5 meters. You can't do that, you're not gonna be in the games. Doesn't matter if your country wants you in there, you know what I mean? Doesn't, want, doesn't matter if you're the only one, you know, throwing the shot put in some country out in the distance. You have to be able to throw it 20.5 meters just to get in the game. There's so much we could say about skills, again, as believers, okay? How do you train? Like, what does the person in the shot putt do? He's got to learn form. She's got to learn form. They've got to hit the weights. They have to have diet. They have to be trained. There is so much there. We have to develop the skills as a believer, putting on the armor of God, learning how to be ready with an answer. That's apologetics, learning how to discern between right and wrong. What is truth? Those are all things that we have to learn if we're able to compete in this fight of faith. But I want to just, uh, again, really broad topic. I'm going to focus in on one. When an athlete trains, they typically have a coach. And they typically listen to the coach for advice. When you train and you train hard in any Olympic event, you will have a coach. And they're going to steer you and correct you. And they're going to give you advice on how to be better. In Proverbs 12, 15, it says, The way of fools seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 15:22. As we have said time and time again, we as believers should be the first ones to take advice, especially from mature believers. And I keep saying it kind of from the pulpit, and it could just be me, but it would seem like the younger generation has a hard time taking advice from the older generation. That somehow the younger generation has figured everything out. It's not biblical and it's not good. It's not good. You can do any kind of category you want. How to get jobs, how to parent, how to do marriage, how to deal with in-laws, whatever you want. But the younger generation is a biblical pattern to seek after advice for those who have gone before you. And make sure it's wise believers. Make sure they're mature believers, giving you sound advice, biblical advice. But there are so many of us, we talk about competing in the game. We want to train, we want to exercise, and we want to do it everything our way. We don't, we don't want to listen to those who have gone before us who might have actually had expertise in certain areas. We don't want that. We just want to do it by ourselves. Or worse, we just trust the internet. I might have shared this story before. When I got certified to be an archery instructor, it was great. I got to go away two days from camp and, um, you know, a National Archery Association certification. And the guy doing the course was Mr. Art Hall, and he actually trained our Olympians. And, uh, we were training and we were shooting, and most of these guys who were going to be archery instructors had never picked up a bow in their life. Well, I thought, this is my day to shine. And so as they are completely missing the target, I'm just hitting all reds. 
Now, if you know what red is, yellow is bullseye. That's around a 10. And then the next yellow ring is 9. And then 8 and 7 is the reds. Eh, decent. I got to tell you, I had some great uh, alkylates. People in class were like, man, this guy knows how to shoot. Look at this. Look at his arrows clumped together. Man, he hits a target every time and in the red. Feeling pretty good. Good old Mr. Art Hall came, and I still remember the way he was smiling at me. I said, hey, man. He goes, oh. He goes, you think you're doing good. And I was like, well. And I, he'd, he'd already got me. And he's like, you're not good at all. And he actually showed four to five pieces of my form within a second that was wrong. He goes, you're doing this wrong with your elbow. You're doing this wrong with your release. And I'm like, but I'm shooting red, baby. And I'm telling you, he's smiling in such a way he's like, and it, to these other people, you look like you're doing good. You're garbage. That's basically what he was saying to me. And it was fun. It was good to hear, right? And so the reason I say that is, my goodness, take advice from the experts. And obviously that's the Lord, but there's mature sisters, there's mature brothers who have been through more than you have ever been through. Go to them for advice. Instead of thinking, at least I'm hitting red. The point is I'm missing the bullseye, people. That's the point. And I have an Olympian guy who trains Olympians can teach me how to hit the bullseye every time. Am I willing to hear the advice and then do it? It would be absolutely stupid of me to shoot the arrow right after and say, eh, I'm good. And that's what we do as believers, by the way. And we look ignorant. We sit there and say, we have biblical people who give us biblical advice. And you just look at them and go, yeah, I'm good. And you're missing the bullseye. There has to be certain marks. Now, again, as we talk about this in our Christian walks, okay, I'm not at all preaching that we have to have certain levels to be approved by God. It's not that at all. But we talk about this all the time, the pendulum swings. Guys, we want to compete. We don't want to be Christians that barely have any kind of answers for the world. We want to be Christians that are like, well, you know, we kind of have good marriages, one out of every, you know, five. The world has one in every ten. So we're doing better. That's not the goal. The goal is to fight the good fight and be competitive and just completely dominate. That's our goal. Fight the fight. And some of that has to do with are we taking advice when we need to get trained? 50% are also based on World Athletics ranking within the ranking period. What does that mean? A lot of these teams have to play in competitive sports and actually have to place in those sports in order to get a bye to the Olympics. In other words, you might have the best skills in the world in a certain event, but if you never compete, it doesn't matter. You could be the best. You could throw the shot put 40 meters. If you've never actually got involved in an event, in front of people in a crowd and you had an official shot putting event and you threw and placed, it doesn't matter. You're not going to the games. And there's so many of us that are afraid to get involved in fighting the good fight. 
We don't want to get involved. I want to remind us that this is not a new problem. I was reading this again this week. We'll read it again. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. The Israelites are supposed to go to the promised land. Starting in verse 24, And they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. They brought back word to us, saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, These people are greater and taller, and the cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakin there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God. The Israelites were getting prepped. They were in competition, so to speak, they have seen the Red Sea open. They've had their freedom from Egypt. And by the way, every single day, they would wake up and find food on the ground. Every single day. A miracle. They literally got to witness a miracle. Every single day they woke up, there was manna. And it came to the point where they hated the manna. And they asked for meat, and they started complaining more. And God gives them all the quail. And then it comes to the point where we're on the brink of the promised land. Let's just spy this out. And there's so many good things in the promised land. But guess what? There's big people there, and we're not going to fight. We're not going to fight. We're going to lose. We're going to stay out of the game. That's what happens here, except for two, Josh and Caleb, who tore their clothes and said, guys, don't. Do this. Don't do this. Sometimes I still feel like there are so many of us that are so afraid to battle because it looks like we can't win. It looks like we can't win, and we've seen God's hand time and time again, but we refuse to compete because it looks like we can't win. One of the best scenes in the most successful franchise of movie cinematography, the Rocky series. In Rocky IV, if you know it all, the best boxer ever to live, Rocky. His friend Apollo has just been killed by a Russian fighter, and now he's going to fight him. And so in the quietness of their home, he tells his wife, I'm going to fight him. And Adrian says this, it's suicide. You've seen him. You know how strong he is. You can't win. And if you know anything about this series, it's kind of crazy. For her to say that was just such a blow. And good old Rocky says, well, Adrian always tells the truth. No, maybe I can't win. Maybe the only thing I can do is just take everything he's got. 
but to beat me, he's going to have to kill me. Rocky's amazing. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, I, I would have to say this. There are so many times we've talked about this all the time in the Christian walk that sometimes we, in this competitive, we just want to be in the games. Sometimes all you can do is take the hits. Sometimes that's all that you're able to do. But you're still in the game. You're still in it. And that's what he was saying here, even in Rocky Four, and the, the silliness of like, listen, it doesn't look like it going. It doesn't, but it doesn't matter. I'm a fighter. I have to fight. And that's the calling of the believer. It doesn't mean we're going to sit there and have these grand ideas that life will be easy and there'll be no battles and every single battle will be easy. Sometimes we're looking at battles and go, Lord, there's no way I win, but I'm going to be in the battle. I'm going to sit here in the battle. I'm going to compete. That's the calling of the Christian. That's how you qualify for the Olympics. you got to get in the game. And there's so many of us that are so afraid of failure where we don't compete. And I want to remind us, as in Deuteronomy, how much God has actually already done for you in the past. And how he has said, I will fight for you. I'll compete for you. Just show up. Just do what I tell you to do. I'll do all of it. Just show up. What's your motivation to actually contend? We have now said going from contending to clutching. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Lay hold of eternal life. Clutch that. Grasp that. When you think about fighting this faith, recognize eternity. Recognize, lay hold of the fact you're on your way to heaven. You're not trying to win your salvation at all. But because you have held on to the fact that you are eternally secure. This is what I was talking about before with Dan Burton. Remember, you are well Beloved, accepted, all those things talking about in Ephesians. Remember, Dave George actually said it here a couple weeks ago as well. Said you cannot practically do Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 without understanding who you are in Christ, chapters 1, 2, 3, in the book of Ephesians. To lay hold of eternal life. Timothy, you're a young guy. you got a bunch of old people. Old people don't like to typically listen to young people. I've given you these huge things. you got a bunch of Jewish people that aren't even ready for a changeover yet from Judaism to Christian, Christianity. But guess what? You're on your way to heaven. Lay hold of that. And the reason you are is because there was a God, Jesus Christ, who loved you so much that he gave himself for you and he shed his blood for you and he secured your eternal salvation. Now you lay hold of that when you got to go fight. You lay hold of that and you hold on to that when you have to compete. Remember this. It's a good fight. It's not just a fight. It says fight the good fight. This is healthy for us to compete. Remember in the land here in Deuteronomy, it's a good land. There's a bunch of giants in it, but it's good. You got great fertile soil. You got tons of fruit. You got tons of, 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 of running water. It's good. This is not just any kind of fight. 
it's a good fight. And finally, you've been called to it. Here in verse 12, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Some might even say this was kind of, he's talking about his baptism. But listen, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you have been called by him and you have hopefully professed that publicly. People know you're a believer. And you hold on to eternal security and you get in the game. You run away because it's dangerous. All these five things we're talking about, you pursue and you train to nail down the six things in verse 11. And then you fight with every ounce of your energy and with the Lord's help, you contend. Get in the game. Make our faith your very thought. Everything that you do is your first thought. What would the Lord have me do? What would the Lord have me do? Let me contend. Let me contend. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much um, for even using examples like the Olympics in your word. Thank you so much for using simple things, for we are a simple people. Lord, just help us. Encourage us, give us endurance, help us to simply keep moving forward, to just keep pressing forward, to just look at this and not just be stale and not just kind of be afraid, but that we, through your strength and your help, would be able to compete. In your name, amen.